2: Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 982. Before we get to the cork board, uh, I'm doing some stand-up shows, so come to see those. If you live in Brea, San Diego, Portland, Phoenix, Oxnard, Nashville, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Oh man, that's what I should do. I should make stand-up <laughs> commercials like monster truck ads because it's 1997. You know what? <laughs> The monster truck joke's not going to be in the set. uh. But I'll be at the Brea Improv February 22nd, 23rd. Then at the American Comedy Company in San Diego in March. uh, Helium in Portland in March. Stand Up Live in Phoenix in March. Uh, Levity Live in Oxnard in April. Nashville at Zany's in May. And then uh, Wise Guys in Salt Lake City. So, 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 Salt Lake City. I can't not say it that way anymore. Uh, and that's in June. So, uh, Oh, you know, I don't have those dates up on ID10T.com yet, but soon, good people, soon, as I've been promising, ID10T.com is getting a bit of a facelift, and then that information will be there. But if any of those cities make sense to you, then... just uh, let your Googling fingers do the walking to find the info and get tickets for them. So hope to see you out there. Now let's go to the corkboard uh, for people who are not me in the ID10T community. Events at ID10T.com is the, uh, the email to send those into. Like uh, Ian Okamoto who writes, um, My name is Ian. I'm a freelance musician currently working on an album inspired by Bioshock Infinite. Already love it, Ian. Already love it. The first song, Prophets and False Shepherds, is out now and can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and most other streaming services. If you're interested in hearing the album when it's finished, keep tabs on me anywhere you get your music. Money's been tight lately, so the majority of any money the song makes will help put me through college. I'll also be donating some to GiveWell, a fantastic charity site that allocates funds to charities that can utilize them best in I adore and support you. You're doing this for yourself, and you're doing this for charity, and uh, you're doing this for your art, your craft. So good job. Good job, my friend. Also, J.L. Spears writes, in the midst of working and parenting, I've been working to market my first book. It is entitled The Starlet of Passion. It falls under the genres of fantasy, erotica, and romance. Find it by searching The Starlet of Passion on Amazon. So uh, there you go. Events at ID10T.com. Today's podcast is Lynn Shea, who is... legendary Like she's Lynn has been not only in some of the best comedies of all time like you know something about Mary and Kingpin and uh uh Dumb and Dumber she also is uh a horror icon I mean she's an icon in general but certainly if you're a horror fan uh she is a fixture of horror and just an incredible woman such an incredible lady um my wife and I are such huge fans of hers, and Lydia uh, j- just worships Lynn and hosted a screening of, at ScreamFest in uh, September of Lynn's new movie, The Final Wish. Which, by the way, is in theaters January twenty fourth, and it was so adorable. Lydia was so nervous to meet her, and Lynn is just the fucking coolest person. I'm going to tell you something about this podcast. Lynn is the type of person that even if you're if you look her up, you're going to and you're if if her name doesn't ring a bell, you're going to look her up and you go, okay, I know who that is. But I'm telling you, this is going to be one of those episodes that's going to sneak up and just like hug your heart. Lynn is fascinating and interesting and. Brilliant and wonderful and just so comfortable in her own skin and just an inspiration. Has led such a wonderful, interesting life, just being open and receptive and, and positive and um and we became pals after this. Like we're gonna hang out because I she's just Someone that um, she's the type of person that you you know you talk to her for a while and you go I just want to spend time around that person and learn how to be a better human being so uh, I'm I'm I was so blown away by getting to spend time with her so please go see her the movie The Final Wish or anything else that she's uh, that she's done I look her up I'm telling you her resume is unreal how many things she's been in and uh, you'll definitely recognize her when you do so here's the id10t podcast number 982 uh, with lynn shea who again i will never stop gushing about lynn shea to the podcast initiating id10t protocol
1: I've got about three quarters of an acre for which for l a is incredible a big deal. yeah, but it's still it's it's a view like almost three hundred and eighty degree view of the valley so so th- but it's you hear the sound of the city yeah, which um I don't mind because it's where I live it's right what I, it's how it's I've chosen this you know as my so um but this is really I mean this is like coming into another era oh so thanks, yeah, we spent about two years restoring it oh man it's um have well, you ever remodeled the place before? Um, the pl- n- not not of any size. We had, the first ever house we we built or that we lived in was sort of a log cabin. Oh, that's so great. we we ad- we added on. It was on a little street called Seaview Trail, right off Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Okay. And um, you kind of wound up, and it was on a dirt road with a dead end. And it was it's built. It was made of logs that were – the inside was the outside. There was no insulation. <laughs> so it was really – it was a drug house for a while. There was a lot of things like, fuck you, get the fuck off my cunt, <laughs> written, on a, written on our door when, when we moved in. I hope this is not on the air. But, that, yeah, I mean, it—it it, should, it should is should, because that's an amazing that, – So so <laughs> – like they did that while you were living there? No, no, it was right, oh, before, we, we, right before we right before we bought it. Yeah. because we don't know. We think they were all in jail by that time. But so when
2: um, you're looking at that property it's a real estate agent, like, okay, yeah, hear yeah. me out. It's a little <laughs> okay. This
1: is a can of paint, you know. This it's a can kind of stain. Just pretend you're not watching. It yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was a screen door with it spray painted in. So okay, so you, the like
2: screen doors are removable. Yeah, so exactly, you that was what
1: he told us. <laughs> So um, <laughs> This is the pre-internet era. People had to write things on screen doors. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, But anyway, that was... And then the house I live in now is really a wonderful... Um, it was built in the 50s, and then there was a guy that lived there for 44 years, and he redid it. And it's just... I I, I will never live anywhere else. Oh, just, that's great. It's got... I've got all these giant pine trees on one side, and then it's got a, a beautiful pool with a this 300, 180... It's almost 300-degree view of the valley, because it wraps all the way around... Mm-hmm. And um, it's—I don't even know how you describe the architecture. It's—it's it's a slate roof, uh, beautiful, uh, pale green slate roof, um, wood floors, everything, giant beams. It's modern, rustic, almost like a lodge. It could okay. almost be—it could either be deco or it could be really rustic or it could be modern, oh, that depending on cool. how you want it to. That to, sounds really cool. So, and I've got a lot of Western stuff. I love—I love—I have a horse, and I'm a real horsey person, so I have a lot of um, big furniture and overstuffed stuff and do you no have a board. wagon wheel coffee table? No, but it, almost. <laughs> mine's, a, mine's a cactus wood. It's coffee a cactus. Table. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. But yeah, because anyway, so someday we, you'll come to my house. I I'll would show love you to around. see your house. Do you have a horse on your property? No, no, no. no. But uh, however, I found out that that my street is zoned for horses. Oh, like originally, there were horses allowed, and Tom yeah. Cruise owned the property at the end of the street, um, which is something like six acres. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the whole sort of end of sure. off Mulholland. So um anyway I I got my so we bought it when I could never afford it again we bought it in 2000 um it's probably worth three times what, what we paid for it then now because They've done all this. Uh, the Lautner House is above us. That, okay. That round house that was in oh um, yeah body double yes that's right above us. And then there's another Neutra on this. You know, oh there's my all gosh. this Architecture yeah. stuff. What do I know? You know? No, I, but I pick up
2: dog poop to make sure. No, that's really <laughs> make good. Sure. Yeah, so we you know what's as great as we can we can I'll, I'll snip out any part of the conversation that mentions your street because I do I like I love to talk about homes with people because it is. You know, if if you give a shit about where you live, your your home is like such an expression of totally. And and so we're lucky because my wife and I have the exact same taste, and that's very lucky. You know,
1: I I'm not married anymore, but my husband and I that was the best part of our relationship. <laughs> we we totally loved the same stuff. We we did the best part of our life was when we were putting a house together. We, we no no arguments. It was like real listening, really give and take. The rest felt as shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as we laugh about it, really, uh, but the house I'm taking my clothes off. The longer I sit here, the house looked
2: great. I know it's warm. Well, it's warm in here now because we're it's in this cozy, kind of weird. Good. We're in this weird thing with LA where it's like. It's so funny. Like everyone freaks out because it's going to rain for four days. I know. And I'm one of those people too. But it's like it's cold outside for LA.
1: Right. But it's not cold. It's like, are you kidding me? Forty degrees? Is I'm from Detroit originally. Oh yeah, yeah, so
2: yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Have
1: we started? Have we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've yeah. actually started. Yeah. Since, oh. That's what I'm saying. I'm gonna,
2: <laughs> I'm gonna snip oh, up good the parts okay. where okay. you mention your streets and where you live, and just keep in the parts where we're sort of. It, 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 it'll sort of fade up as we're mid conversation. Okay. Which that's I think great. sounds better than. You know, I'm here with Lynn Shay, yeah, who who has done basically nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she likes sushi.
2: Yeah, <laughs> sushi's great. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. You might remember this or not, but my wife Lydia host like is one of the hosts of Screamfest. Oh, yes. And so I saw the movie that you came to talk about, Final, Final. Wish, at Screamfest. And we took pictures with you because my wife did the Q and A with you. Because
1: uh, you know, I'm not just saying this. You look familiar, and I thought, but I when I looked on the thing, I said I've never met Chris. You yeah. Know? So, but then when you walked in, I thought, well, maybe i you know, we have we maybe, have maybe I saw you on the street. Yeah.
2: You know? <laughs> so I'm just we're, checking out your uh, your Western, I really your interior really. Western <laughs> house. We um yeah I we have we have actually pictures together from that thing, and I was like, well, Lynn's not going to remember this. How many screenings has, this, has she been to? You know, but it but you know we're. I was so excited to have you on because we're huge fans of yours. Like literally, thank you so much. Not, I mean, and not just horror, but you, you know, but you're in also some of the most iconic comedy films as well. And so it's sort of it's so interesting to sort of see, you know, how people's careers develop and which directions they go in and what they do. And you know, like you're in such this amazing specific, like. You're first of all, you're irreplaceable. You're you, and when when you see
1: you're gonna make me cry no, right seriously. here in front
2: of everybody. No, I mean seriously. <laughs> and so it's like you've carved out this wonderful place for yourself, where you know if you decide to go do a mainstream thing, you can. But also, like you're such a fixture
1: of of horror, you know. Like it's just a, it's just like a, it's such a great career. It seems like. Does it feel that way? to Yes, you? it totally does. I, I I am more surprised than anybody. Anybody, I—it's gonna make me cry, though. But I love what I do, and I don't even know why, I, I, <laughs> except that I'm fascinated by aspects of living yeah. and what that means to different people, and how we are in our personal stories. Mm-hmm. How, where everybody's got tragedy, everybody's got—you know—everybody's got a little bit of everything. And I'm fascinated by trying to walk into the, that per, the personality of another person. So I don't even think about genre. I mean, that was something I talked about today to some people. I don't think about genre, I don't think about gender, and I don't think about age. Those are three things I just... It, it has nothing to do with what I do. Right. Because I was never limited. No one ever limited me in what I what I love to do, mm-hmm. which comes out of my imagination, basically. Right. So, um, and I, I didn't even know I wanted to be an actress. For I, I graduated in art history from University of Michigan. Um, my mom, my dad was—he was a lawyer. Who, he graduated law school at 21 years old. He, we lived in Detroit, Michigan. It was a very traditional '50s family. Um, uh, I had no kids in the neighborhood, so I would always play by myself and make up stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. that was how I. And my mom, unbeknownst to her really spawned my imagination because she allowed me to explore anything and everything I would take all my clothes out of my closet and dress up and take my dolls and make up stories and we'd make up games and I had because thank God there were no iPhones there was no <laughs> I mean I, I'm I think kids are 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 being stunted right now. There's no, it's another world that I'm not familiar with. Because they're not is, being forced to
2: use their imagination yeah. as much because everything's right and, there. And
1: they know that looking at a screen, I mean, there was a whole thing on this, I don't know if it was 60 minutes, whereas it, it, it does not stimulate imagination. Right. And so, or creativity, because right. it's all been done for you mm-hmm. on some level. Now, maybe there's a next level that will happen that will then ignite all that again. I'm, right. not, I'm hoping that's true. But I was really allowed to just. To be an idiot. (laughs) I mean, there was no pressure about, even for school, you know, I mean, do the best you can. If you didn't do well, do better next time. Try harder. You know, but it was never, you you know, I didn't have those kind of, uh, that kind of an environment around me. I had a very nurturing, I think, creative environment. My dad ended up becoming a painter in his 50s. Oh wow. Yeah. And he became a very successful Michigan artist, Max Shea. Maximilian Shea. He gave himself a title. A, a long a fancier yeah. name. Yeah. I it mean, wasn't it, Jewish. It wasn't the Jewish grocer. It was Maximilian <laughs> Shea. <laughs> we were also
2: the Jewish grocer, by the Max way. Max the Jewish grocer. Max the Jewish grocer is Maximilian yeah,
1: Shea? Same guy. That's yeah. a
2: Hannah Montana situation. <laughs> I've right. never seen them in the same room together. Wait a minute. This grocery store has a
1: beautiful right. art. Right. 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 well, you should see the tableau in the back. Yeah. Um, but um, so I, I really, I, I really don't make any distinction about what I've been allowed to do. I just love, um, I love that people are are loving it. I mean, there's what could be better than it at my age? It's true. I mean, I'm getting old. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's I mean, good that you you can't because there's nothing what really. Do what about can I do? about things? I was just yeah. going to say, what am I yeah. supposed to do about it? Yeah,
1: but um, but again, I don't internally or mentally. I haven't put any limits on myself, and I think that that's translated to success on some level because I haven't I haven't designated. If I'm not here by now, then um, I have to do... You know, a lot of people give themselves... I'll give myself 10 years to be an actor. Right. Well, good luck. Right. You know, maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. Right. I don't have any parameters. I love interpreting other people's lives. I don't know what that's from. I always have. The first thing I remember getting um, sort of rewarded for... Is I was in a school and it was a camp play, and I was supposed to be this like stupid person. That was the I think that was the description <laughs> of the character. And the only thing I did was duh, <laughs> and I would make everybody crack up because everybody would they would, do the duh thing, do the duh thing, and nobody could do it like me, like duh. So you are, you had an SNL character. I already like, had, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Before SNL, and, and I was around I was around nine or nine years old, and I just remember I, being able to. I, I'm a good mimic. I'm a good. I am a good mimic uh, to my own dis- <laughs> destruction some of the time <laughs> when I mimic at the wrong time. But um, anyway, there's nobody happier that people are appreciating what I do than me. Well, it sounds like – Oh, do you mind grabbing a couple glasses of water?
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. I was rude and I didn't do what I came No, in. no, no. That's um,
1: fine. I didn't know we were recording. So I know. I
2: exactly. I'd say.
1: They but, snuck it in there.
2: But right. everything that you're talking about
1: sounds like um,
2: – it sounds like just like not – like getting the ego out of the way. You know, it's like those are not ego decisions where you go like, oh, you know, like I, I, I like doing this stuff. I'm going to do it. There's no time limit. I don't think about all these things. I just think I like to do this. And all the things that all the things that you talk about that really trip people up are those kind of like ego things. I have to have this kind of role. I have to do this genre film. I have to have this by this date. I have to have And I think mean, it's good to have goals, but but it's bad when. You know, it's like the ego decisions are the ones that fuck us up the most. I, I
1: have a very small ego, and that's the truth. I mean, for better or for worse, I really—I'm very competitive, but not—not not overtly, right? I mean, I—but I, you know, if I see somebody, I can be a real bitch. I realize, <laughs> I mean, seriously, and I don't tell other people that, <laughs> except for you. Now they all know. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, but I'm sort of missing a, a, that thing of. I'm me and I'm, I, I don't know why, I, uh, I don't really know who I am. You still don't,
2: you don't think you no, know? No, Does it matter that you don't know or do you want to know? No,
1: it does not matter. What matters is the way I behave. Well, maybe that's who you are. You know, like maybe that's who you are.
2: You know, like maybe it's not, I don't know. Maybe there doesn't have to be like a. A
1: description. A Someone's description. I am this person
2: is like, yeah, you know, I'm just living life. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about. Thank you. It's like you know mankind's obsession with trying to figure out the meaning of life. Like, is there an answer that would ever set? It's like no. Life is the meaning of life. You live it, and that's it. There, you don't have to have like a we
1: are supposed to. That's too. That's too result oriented. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm and I've never really because people talk about you know all these um, self help things about visualize your goals. I've never visualized <laughs> shit. I mean, I visualize when I'm hungry. You know? <laughs> What am I going to eat? That's about, that's about as, as far as I get in visualization. I really don't. I never had any. I didn't even know I was going to be an actress. I started to tell you that. I was an art history major. I loved, but I loved show, not showing off. I loved entering the duh, yeah. you know, that thing. And so I was always looking. I loved being in plays because I like pretending to be other people. Mm-hmm. That was just fun for me. And I was pretty good at it. And um so I was always sort of in school plays. I always I never got the big part. I always got the little part. I would audition for everything and I would get the little part. <laughs> 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 and, and um I just kind of accepted that, you know, all right so um, and then in uh, when I went to college, i was I had a great run four years at University of Michigan. I was not in their theater department. They had a fantastic theater department, but I was in art history and um, was going to, you know, do something at the museum when I graduated. And... um, and then I finished school, and then I did my proverbial year in Europe, which is a whole podcast all its <laughs> own. <laughs> which I mean, that was the wildest. I have had so many crazy experiences. I mean, that I, it would take forever for me to tell you them. But. I'm gonna.
2: I'm just gonna bookmark that in my head and uh, let you finish the how you got to acting thing, and then I'm definitely gonna. Go into Europe. <laughs> you can't just drop that and be like, oh, I guess we'll just and move the,
1: on from there. The, so. All right, I'll buy it, because there's a great funny story. Okay, especially. great. We'll, we will um, circle back around to that. But anyway, so, um, so after Europe, I came back. I, my two best friends were living in New York, and, um, and I kind of slept on their couch in their apartment. And I got my first job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the registrar's office, in the basement of the Metropolitan Museum, um, in, the, in filing. It was, you know, an entry level job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't smart enough to be a real art history person. That was one of the things about Europe. I told my parents I was going to re- go to the Courtauld Institute of Art. <laughs> I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so... I was literally—Mrs. Sikowitz, I remember, was my superior officer. She was the registrar of the museum. The best part of that was going into the um, to the Metropolitan at 8 a.m. before people came, and I would go through the Egyptian exhibit. If if you don't believe in ghosts— That's incredible. I mean, I get chills talking about it. Well, you can, if you look around our house, you can see that— I know, As, as gonna... I show
2: you, like, Lydia and I both had this idea that we always wanted to live in a museum— you know, and so I think that's why we have a lot of, you know, like there's like vintage taxidermy and
1: statues and all sorts of, because it just like that feeling to me is so cozy. And it's real. I mean, that that the resonance you get from that, I really believe. If you open yourself up to it, it is for, I'm not choking. I, I get chills <laughs> when I think about it, because going through all the Egyptian, the Sarakoffice yes. guy or whatever you call him. But anyway, that was the best part. And then about week number three, I was going, so I wonder when I get to be in a play. I would love to be in a play. I never thought about film ever, ever, ever. So I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to? I got to be back in school if I'm going to go. And then I started thinking, maybe I should uh, go to. Maybe I should be an actress. There's a there's a profession that does what I'm looking for. So I applied to three graduate schools in in theater. And one was Columbia, um, Brandeis, and NYU. I didn't get into Brandeis. I had to go and audition to all three. I can't even remember how I put all that together. I'm so proud when I remember it because I don't know how I did that. No one helped me. I mean, my parents paid for it, but I I got myself to Boston, to Brandeis, and and got myself to New York, and I did an audition, and I I decided to go to Columbia. I got into NYU and Columbia. So I was at Columbia for three years in their Master of Fine Arts program as an actor, it was exquisite. You know, it was 12 hours a day of theater, of, you know, body work and voice work and play. And, and we worked with Joe Papp. We were, we were attached to the public theater at that time. He was one of our teachers. So Joe was one of our teachers. Oh, we had fantastic um, guest speakers and guest teachers. And we segued literally right from that into sort of off-off Broadway. Once I finished school, I stayed in New York. My brother had just started New Line Cinema. Yeah, I knew that about I knew that about your family. And I remember I finished my master's thesis on, at one o'clock in the morning up in his office at New Line, <laughs> all by myself, and, and got it in literally about ten minutes before the deadline, and um, and uh, I started to, to just do plays, and and it was the same kind of thing. It wasn't like you know equity waiver. I got my I got my equity card by doing one line. In uh, a five hour production of Jean Genet's The Screens at the Chelsea Theater Center in Brooklyn, that Robert Calvin was the artistic director. I got, um, the, there was a character I auditioned for named Leila, that's the ugliest girl in the world. Oh, and she does the whole play for five hours with a burlet bag on her head. And I was dying for that job. Oh, my God. And I did an audition. I know, I blew them. I blew, I blew everybody out of the room, but they hired somebody else. <laughs> it was that same thing. And I remember the actress's name, a beautiful girl named Janet League. I wonder where she is today, but Janet, you were gorgeous and a very good actress as well. And she, um, since it was a five-hour production, they the matinees, You know, there was eight performances a week, so they would do... You know, they'd start the show at 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, end at 7, have an hour break, start at 8 until 9, 10, 11, 12, until 1 in the morning. That sounds terrible. Yeah, with a dinner break, with <laughs> a dinner break. That sounds terrible. 10 hours ten a day. 10 hours. Of 10 hours. So Janet said, if you want to do the matinees, you know, that would be great. And that, that's how I got my equity card. I played an Arab wife named Habib. That was all. <laughs> and I had one line. I think it was, my husband. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think that was it. And so I got my equity card. I had that. And we would do, I didn't have, I wasn't SAG yet or anything. And then I think all you had to do was pay $200 to become a a Screen Actors Guild um, member at the time. So I paid it because I thought, well, why not? I might as well have, be in the union. And um, did off and off, off Broadway for almost 10 years. I had the most exquisite time. It was when everything was starting. This is 19... uh, let me see, 70, like 60, 1970 to 68 to 70. Oh, wow. See, 77, excuse me. 68 to 77. And What um, a time to be in New York. Yeah, yeah, everything was started. Manhattan Theater Club, Chelsea Theater Center, American Place Theater, the WPA, Playwrights Horizons, all of them were just getting started. And uh, I was in everything. You know, I just, I, I was just tireless, kind of. I always went from, never was not doing something or working. And um, uh, I have a great story. You want to hear it? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I have so many stories. Yes. So, okay. So cut to 1977. All is well. I'm doing theater. I got cast to play um, Prossy, the secretary in Canada, that Eva Marie Saint, a lot of people don't even know who she who she is. Do you know? Eva I remember Marie? her. Yes. Okay. You know she she was in On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando, one of the most beautiful actresses. I, she may still be living. She was married to Jeff Hayden, I remember, who was a director, and she got cast to play Candida at, at, at a regional theater in Boston, and I got cast. I auditioned for the the uh, part of Prosse, a, a wonderful. It's a great play. It's George Bernard Shaw, um, and. Uh, I was doing research and I was already, and I get this phone call that unfortunately I've been fired. <gasps> and I thought, oh my God, I, and, I, and I thought, what did I do? Because had we had any rehearsals yet? We'd had, I think, a couple of rehearsals. And I didn't remember this because I was so upset, but about a year later, I found a letter they had written me that said, We hired you because you were the best actress who came in for the role, and we fired you because you made Eva Marie Saint look too old. Oh,
0: because no. she, she
1: was in her 50s, I was in my 30s, but I looked like I was 12. Uh-huh. I mean, I really, I mean, uh, being as little as I am, and I was just, I looked on stage in particular, I looked like a child next to her so, so um, at least you can't feel bad know, about that I, because yeah. there's nothing you can do about that but at the time i got a rash <laughs> 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 i was so i was so upset i thought i was gonna i was just distraught and um so i get this phone call from my agent i actually had an agent a good agent didn't do anything for me, but he was a good agent. <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> like all those agents. Yeah. I, don't, sh- I didn't say that. So um, they said, uh, so Jack Nicholson is in town with his casting people, and they are doing a film called Going South. Mm-hmm. And he saw a picture of you somewhere and was interested in you, so we sent your resume over. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, Jack Nicholson is interested in me. All you did was send my resume over. <laughs> <laughs> Let's send him something else. Yeah, put me, put me, mail me. Right, mail me. M- mail me to so, him. So, um, I said, "Well, can I, you know, I, I, can I meet him, or is there a way to?" Meet? And they said, "Well, unfortunately, they left to go back to L.A., so they're not coming back to New York. So we'll send him your picture." I so I went through. I, this was so naive, but when I think about it, it's so sweet. I went through my desk and I pulled out every picture, snapshot, anything. This is me with curly hair. This is me with long <laughs> hair. This is me with short <laughs> hair. This is me with straight <laughs> hair. And I found this card called the Soothsayer, and this is gonna give me chills. So, and the the date I sent it was seven seven
2: seventy
1: seven. Holy shit! And I put at the bottom, I said, "Thank you, Mr. Nicholson, for your interest." And I said, "Here's some additional photos in case you needed to, them for anything." Oh my god! And then I said, "P.S. I sealed it up. I was gonna take it down to like special delivery. We didn't even have FedEx. Right. I don't think." I said, um, but, um, at P.S., so I pulled it out, and I thought, P.S., I plan to be in Los Angeles for a short visit in the next couple of weeks, which was total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but if he wanted to meet with you, it totally. turns out you had to go visit. Totally. Yeah. So we, I sent it. About two days later, I get a call from my agent. He said, do you know him? And that was how I answered the He said, hello, do you know him? I said, what? Who is this? This is your agent. <laughs> he, said, he said, "Do you know? do you know Jack? and i said no and he said because we just got a phone call from him saying he wants to meet you as soon as you're in la holy shit so i packed dirty laundry mm-hmm. i called my dad i said can i can i have money i'm flying to i want to fly to los angeles tomorrow morning he said okay I mean, they just were... He said, why? I said, I, I, I'm going to meet Jack Nichols. <laughs> so my father said, sure, okay, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> so um, And Betty Buckley was was here. She was doing Eight is Enough, and she had been um, sort of a mentor and a friend and teacher to me in, in New York, she was staying at the Chateau Marmont. I didn't, I'd never been here. I had no idea what anything was had to do with film or anything. So she said, oh, yeah, come on, I'll get you a room at the Chateau. Oh my so God. she got me the bungalow John Belushi lived in. Oh, my God. <laughs> which I didn't know till later. But, um, and on the plane, I got a fever blister the size of a basketball on my upper lip. And I'm not joking. Swelling like I've never before or since seen anything like it. My whole life. Was out like this. I couldn't barely talk. Is it stress induced? Stress induced. Yeah. Stress. Stress. Aggravation. Fear. <laughs> oh my. Anything. And I'm. And once they start, it's really. I mean, I don't know if anybody, if you guys get fever blisters, but it's the worst ever, and it's a virus. You know. No, yeah, of.
2: I know, but I know people who do, and you can't. You can't. There's no yeah. shortcut.
1: There's yeah. no nothing. You, it's like you. You have to live with me until yeah. I die. I live here on your lip for right. a while, <laughs> and I'm telling you, it, I ended up having to have like a, you know, a globulin shot. I mean it was giant it was like a quadruple blister so here I am at the Chateau Vermont you just said it was a character choice <laughs> really? The character well kind of <laughs> so, so the next morning I, call, I must have called the taxi cab 40 times to make sure they were going to be on time I, I walk in those gates at Paramount which I, I felt like I was in dreaming I mean I never had I knew what they looked like from pictures but I had no idea what that felt like And I walked in, I went to Jack's office, and I walk in, and my picture's up on his bulletin board, and he's got his head down looking at my resume, and then he looks up, he says, so what happened to your mouth? Uh, (laughs) Oh, no! And then I said, oh, no. I said, I didn't really just come out here to meet you. I swear to God, I was really <laughs> going to come out here anyway. <laughs> and he just sort of, and I just started babbling. And he was, he, he's hes a very special human being. I mean, he really is. He's that guy. And he just kind of let me carry on. And then he said, um, well, I'm really glad to meet you, and I'm glad you came. And he said, uh, "This is; these are for some small roles, because Mary Steenburgen had already been cast. Mm-hmm. And... um also, he picked her up in a waiting room. She, she was a waitress, and he had her come in and read read with him and oh. cast her on the, on the spot. Oh, my God. So that's who he is. He's yeah. that guy who goes, you, you come with me. Right. And, that was, and I was like the mini version of that. And so um, he said, well, there's four characters. There are four spinsters. He said, but I could always make one the parasol lady. That was all he said. And that was it. That was the whole meeting. So I walked out. I was... I wasn't on this planet. I mean, I was just flying. And um, I figured I would stay for a few days because he didn't say I had the job or anything either. They just He just said, it was really nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. And um, Betty kind of took me under her wing. And um, two days later, I got a call to be on a movie of the week with F. Murray Abraham and Judith Light. I had no agent here or anything. It was based on a tape I had brought from New York... Um, Jeffrey Fisher, God rest his soul, he's he, he died a long time ago. He was a casting director at Universal. He saw my tape and he hired me at the exact same time. At the two days after I'd had the meeting with Jack. So you were already out here. So I'm here. I'm here, and I'm like, oh, I got a job. <laughs> so the other thing is, I had no idea. I'd never done television, and it's um, Jack Arnold was the director, who's a very popular and was a very kind of famous TV sitcom director. And it was a very cute, uh, called Mar- Sex and the Married Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was playing F. Murray Abraham's kind of snarky wife. So uh, what do I know? I'm from theater. So I thought, okay, I, so I've I got to go shopping. So I went shopping for a little T-shirt that said, <laughs> <laughs> that said hot stuff on it. <laughs> You're forgetting that this, you'd have wardrobe. Right. I didn't know I'd have wardrobe. Who gives me wardrobe? I've been shopping at thrift stores ever since I could walk, You know, doing theater. Nobody ever helped me with wardrobe. I always found my own clothes. <laughs> so I go and get hot stuff at Target. And then I buy a little pair of um, uh, d- dangly um, pink palm tree earrings <laughs> and some jeans. And I thought, you know, because I'm an Utah Hagen Girl, it's because I learned, I learned my tools from Uda Stella and lee i 've got three very prominent people in my in my toolkit, and Uda would always say, you know what did you do right before you come into the scene you know what is what 's your life before so you bring in she had a thing where you bring in three objects from wherever you were, which is actually a great exercise you can she said you don 't have to show them to anybody or you can bring it into the scene and introduce it so I thought well i 'm in the kitchen i 'm going to be eating a turkey leg. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did You bring a turkey leg.
1: I went to Nate Nell's,
2: and,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I bought a turkey leg, the biggest one they had. And I renaissance in, fair really, style, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. I come in to meet Jack, Mr. Arnold. <laughs> how, how do you do? I said, so okay. So here's the shirt I brought, and um, and the earrings. And I said, and then I thought I'd be in the kitchen. I'd be eating this turkey leg, and the, all these TV guys, you know, the union TV guys are all standing there with their mouths just ajar, like <laughs> <laughs> like that scene. And what's the scene where they're all, in um, the Mel Brooks movie where they're all like... Oh, the producers? <laughs> yeah, the producers. They're all sitting there with their mouths open. And Jack Arnold, God bless him, was just sort of with this bemused look on his face and his arms folded. And he said, very good. <laughs> <laughs> they used everything I brought, including the turkey leg, which is in the scene. And we shot it and I got a review in Variety. I mean, it was insane. It was like whatever that is about energy, and yeah. and I I learned something about that that I think is real. Um, I mean that 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 power that I harnessed doing, that which came out of my mouth and everywhere else, is totally real. What that, was it? What was was it? The momentum of I like, don't know pursuing,
2: Like you came out here. You were very proactive about the Jack Nicholson thing. You yes. were f- kind of bouncing on cloud nine because of that, and that kind of attracted something.
1: Something. I mean, but I think that's real. You know, people say, oh, you know, energy, you know, all this thing about energy and all these people with their theories, you know, which you can sort of poo-poo. And then there's a part of it that is real, that, you know, good, good begets good. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah. And there was something, I was, I was on fire I was on fucking on fire. <laughs> I was so excited and so happy and and I but I was so focused. It wasn't like I was just, you know, and I'm going to go get drunk and go to parties. I was and I started calling. I had a whole list of casting directors. I started calling them one after the other. I was getting results and um when I, and then I got an Eight is Enough. Betty was on Eight is Enough. And Lorimar, which doesn't exist anymore, which was notoriously the, this this dogged company that gave nobody anything. They wouldn't pay anybody anything. You know, they were really tight wads. They gave me single-card billing for a scene in this movie. I played a punk rocker. I brought in a dog a collar and leash <laughs> and was walking myself around with it like a stoner. You know, but it was classic, you know, sort of goofy being stoned, you know, hi, I drive, I'm the show, you know, I bet, and it's a cute little scene on Eight is Enough, and, um, and I remember I still had the card on something, they gave me single card billing, and Lynn Shay, I mean, I was nobody, nobody. And so when, when does Jack Nicholson call you back? Okay, oh, okay, so uh, this was, that was, was it after, I don't, I'd been here about a week, and I had done Sex and the Married Woman. I don't think I had done um, The Eight Is Enough yet, but I had done Sex and the Married Woman. And I get a call, and they say um, Jack wants you in Durango for two weeks to play the, the Parasol Lady. Oh my God! So John Belushi, Chris Lloyd, Veronica Cartwright, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson, and Lynn Shea. Holy and shit! And I have and I have one little uh, one line, which is, He ain't for you, Serene. <laughs> and a parasol and a parasol and i had this little and i would and i used it you know i mean and jack was right there i didn't even know what m o w meant you know i didn't know what and and he's you know he 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 directed me i mean he was interested in me you know he for whatever reason i don't you know again it's an energy thing i've never seen him since Never ever seen him since. Well, he's right here, right now, Jack. I, Come on out. Well, I wish he was. Hey, you know, I can't do an yeah, impression. No. You can't do the but impression. He, you know, he's so hottie and He does that thing. <laughs> yeah, he does that thing. Let's see if there's anything here we can But talk I think
2: there about. is something about that. And I also think, you know, if it, the. I think you probably brought, speaking of energy, like a much different energy than what they're used to seeing, which is, you know, people who are. Driven by desperation, their egos, um, you know, just uh, whatever, wanting to be famous or whatever. And for you, it's just like, hey, I don't give a shit. I just this is just fun. You know, my background's theater.
1: I don't. I love my work, and I was serious about my work. Yeah, I mean, dead serious about my turkey leg, and and I think that was what was so disarming. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really, I came in, I laid it out. I said, here's the t-shirt I got because I thought hot stuff, like she's in the kitchen and they've got a good relationship. <laughs> you know, I I sort of explained it all, and they were they were so. Um, they were bemused, and they were they were entertained. You know that's good because there is
2: a scenario where someone does that, and they're like, "What the fuck what is it?" You know? But I think that's now. Like back then, I don't think people were really. I don't know. It doesn't seem like people. It just doesn't. It was such its own thing. Like TV was TV, film was film, theater was theater, and there was not a ton of crossover. No, you're like right. now everyone does everything, and we just accept it. People do internet stuff. They do film. They do television. They do theater. And then it was just like theater people, television people, film. Film people, you know? right. And now just everyone is everything. And
1: I was just, I mean, what I came in with, I didn't know from any of it. I just knew I was an actress, and this is what I do for a character. I mean, that was how I approached it. I didn't approach it, I didn't even know where the camera was. <laughs> and I swear to God, I had, because I remember someone saying, the camera's over there. And I went, where? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right, over there. But um, I guess it was a little bit, it was, it was entertaining for them in a way but in a good way because I was really I did a good job I also did a really good job for them and so which is
2: also important because you you know you have to remember that when people uh like people who are easy to work with and show up prepared and they're nice to everyone that is a big deal because productions a a friend of mine who's a director just said my job as a director is just to weed out the dickheads and only work with it, and so you, you have a good experience. People have a good experience with you on this thing. Oh, you know who was great? Lynn Shay was great. Let's just bring her in this one thing. Eh, it's two lines, but she's great. She'll make it great, make it easy and fun, and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger.
1: Kind of. And I still feel the same about it all. I, nothing has changed. I still work as hard. I'm as nervous and scared. I still bring in all my ideas. You know, I'm. I, it's. I, I think love I hear it. my wife. uh Oh, Lids. Yeah. Hello. I wasn't very hey, sweetie it's Lynn hi it's so nice to. first of all your home is exquisite oh my thank god you. my wife worships you hi. Oh.
2: she was so excited
1: to do to, to do the Q&A for your screening and was very nervous to meet you oh, oh no I totally now that I see you I totally remember now I'm putting it all together well I'm saying I'm honored that you invited me over to do oh this gosh, this is really fun so oh well it's great, to, oh, great she's great to all see. red my, my wife's flushing <laughs> but get cozy don't be don't get cold yes no I know yeah I'm gonna go okay (laughs) alright nice to see you
2: Um, yeah so there there really is something to there really is something to that that's because I think there's so many other things we I think as artists we like to think well it's always just about they're gonna pick whoever's best the best performer it's like that that's an element of it but it's like who's easy to work with who looks right for the part, who's like, there's so many other factors that are important beyond
1: just the talent part no, of I, it. I agree. And you know, there's something, I was talking about this to um, one of the interviewers today. I sort of, um, I sort of don't differentiate um it's why I have no real real conscious um, fear of getting old, because I'm getting old, mm-hmm. but fuck it. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I don't, it's not like I, I don't want to play. I love playing characters. Look, I mean, who, how old is Magda or Mrs. Dumars from Kingpin? And, right, right. Who knows? They who could knows? be any age. They could yeah. be 30, they could be 90. Right. And I don't, and this is, even my manager said this. I like doing, and I hope you take this the right way, I like doing stuff that's sexy, yeah. meaning that it's not about how old I am or, or how, what I look like or what gender I am. I, I just played a role that was written for a man that uh-huh. was really fun. Oh, that's that was, great. And I wanted to play it as a man, but we just, we played her as a woman because actually the, that theme thematically fit in better with the storyline. Okay. Line. But, but I love crossing over, you know, that I, I mean, your sexuality is one thing. I mean, I like men, okay, but, but I can be, I, I, but I like women, too. You know, I like, I like who women are, like what we represent. And I've been very fortunate that I was never pigeonholed by my family about, you're a girl, so you can't do that. Right. You know, you're a woman,
2: you're... Well, you're lucky, I think you're lucky in the sense that your father discovered his own artistic path from a very structured job background. That's
1: very interesting.
2: And <laughs> so he probably felt like, well, I was a lawyer and I owned a grocery store and now I'm a painter. So fuck, you know, follow your, follow your whatever, dream. whatever, you know. You can do something for a while. You don't have to do it forever. You can
1: try something else, you know, just sort of follow what you're... He totally, and even with my brother, too, my dad was totally on our side a thousand percent. He gave us his opinion. We could always know when we were getting a lecture. He had gorgeous (laughs) handwriting. He was always an artist when I think about it. He had the most beautiful handwriting. And we would get these legal, the yellow legal pads. Yep. You could tell it came in the envelope. It was a yellow legal. You could tell there was yellow in the, and it was small writing. Yep. <laughs> and you knew, all right, get ready. Oh, here you we open go. Open up the envelope. I'm gonna get notes. <laughs> but it, you would get notes, but they were always very, and they were off, got big and underlined. <laughs> but they were always with with the deepest respect. And I I know Bob saved a couple of them too, because when he was getting his business going. You know his. He, my dad gave him his first investment, basically. I mean, New Line was. New Line. Was, I mean, he started New Line in his in his uh, living room on New York uh, Second Avenue and thirteen. Wasn't 13th he the Street. one that told Peter Jackson? No, I think Lord of the Rings should be yeah, three, three movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty substantial. Bob is a genius. Yeah, he, I, I don't say that loosely. He is one of the smartest people I know. I mean, how how do two people? How do two siblings from Michigan?
2: End up, it's like he goes west, you go east. He starts this thing, you start this career, and you and it, you kind of start to fold back around to, to each you know, other. Like, what a crazy! That's, I mean, that's unique. That like, why can't you know like one person from a family might in the who lives in the middle of the country might, but but two people to pursue separate but successful career paths in a
1: related field. Like, that's a really interesting thing. That's you're right. I I just remember you know Bob used to he was my the classic big brother you know that would torment me I mean he was a tormentor <laughs> <laughs> we had a French poodle a brown curly a, a standard French poodle we had sort of a whole string of them as they died one by one named Pepe Lamoco okay so Peppy Lamoco my brother made a rule where I was only allowed to touch the back end of the dog otherwise he would give me noogies and Indian looks <laughs> A and I was so up and down. My arm was bl- practically blistered from from giving me Indian words. Because if I touched from the mid back, if I went anywhere except towards the tail, I was I would get it. Sounds like a studio executive. So he was. Yeah, so, yeah sounds- and, and he so he was really mean to me. He's <laughs> a big brother, <laughs> but he was the one. If Bob was the one that said to Wes Craven, "Put my sister in your movie." Oh my! Bob was the one who said. In to- Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. The first nightmare on Elm Street. Bob was the one that I did audition for um, for Critters. I think that was an audition, but I got the job. And um, so let's see was. And uh, Bob was the one that told um, Charlie Wessler and Pete Fairley to hire me for Dumb and Dumber. Oh my God! And I didn't. And he pretended he didn't. And it wasn't until months later. Um, And that was how I met them, and how I, you know. Then I went from there. I audition. Kingpin's got a story all of its own. I mean, oh my my god! God. I've got so many stories, Chris. Please, this is the time Ah. to tell them, because it's obvious. It's like,
2: yeah, you know, your brother may have helped you get the one job, but you earned that relationship because the Farrelly's put you. I mean, like something about Mary and Kingpin, and it's like you. He didn't make that happen. Like you, you made you earned
1: that. Well, that was what when um, after. It was Rick Montgomery, who was the casting director on Dumb and Dumber, and um, when they offered me this role, I was so excited. I didn't have to audition, because auditioning is really... It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. So so I got the job. I think we shot... I don't know where we were, if we were in Rhode Island or Pittsburgh. It was one day, and... um, I came up with Mrs. Nugaborn, Nugaborn or Mrs. Noogie Burger, as Jeff Daniels calls me in the movie. <laughs> and the scene went great, and I had these ideas about I have a, how people look like their dogs. So I said, Mrs. Nugaborn, I, sh- I made the front of my hair like a pom-pom, <laughs> you know, <with> little <laughs> tight curls all over. And um, I said to Pete, when we opened the door at the end of the scene, instead of screaming, what if I whimper like a dog? And I do. And so it was ah! Pete loved it. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, you know, even Jeff Daniels was going, yeah, I really like that. That was really good. And then um, weeks later, months later, a couple months maybe, I get a a letter from Bob in the mail. And it says, um, I open it up, and it says, for your scrapbook. And I open the card, and it was a letter from Charlie Wessler to Bob saying, Dear Bob, usually when a studio executive recommends a family member, we We run the other way, but thank you for sending us Lynn. She did such a great job.
2: oh, that's great, so he
1: did it was all him so how did King
2: well, first of all, before we get to Kingpin, oh. you know what's what is what seems apparent to me is that because you had this uh this theater training where you had to basically do everything yourself, it's like you're you're bringing that tool set. To an industry I think it's more common now But I don't think it was common like 20 or 25 years ago Everything was done for Everything you Everything was done for you And so to it's like you kind of didn't know any better Like oh yeah this character her hair should be like this And she probably should look like a dog Because if you're doing a play And you're doing a play that's been done a million times before What are you going to do to differentiate yourself And what kind of magic are you going to find in those right. parts And so you're trained to do that And so you're bringing this other skill set And I'm sure... I mean, I would imagine the directors especially probably loved it because it's like, oh, that makes their job easier. Like easy. someone comes in with ideas and prepared, and
1: but not overbearing. And uh, that, they must have loved that. Well, I guess so. I mean, and, and, and that was – you're right. It was the only way I knew how to work because that's how I was trained to work. So, um, now Kingpin, oh my God, that was, cause so after we did Dumb and Dumber, I read in the trades that they were doing this other movie and I had made friends with a, a couple of the people, you know, on, on, um, the, produ- it was actually produced by, uh, Motion Picture Corporation of America, which at the time was Brad Cravoy, Bradley Thomas and Steven, L- Steven Stabler, um, Bradley, I know, worked with Pete for a long time. Brad, I think, still has his, a company. I don't know what happened with Steve. I think he went into educational something. Okay. A, and a really, all really good guy. Steve especially was a great guy. So, okay, so um, I had met them on when I was doing uh, the, the Dumb and Dumber. So I call the office and I say, hi, this is Lin Shay. And um, whoever answered the phone said, oh, yeah, you were in Dumb and Dumber. You did, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, I see you're doing this other movie. They said, yeah, um, well... And so the guy I was talking to, who was one of Pete's associates, he said, let me send you the script, which he probably shouldn't have, which wasn't really, he kind of did it under the table. And the description of Mrs. Dumars was the angriest, ugliest woman God ever let loose on the planet. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I thought, oh my God, I got to do this. Because, I, I mean, my, the theater gnome in me just like ignited, you know, it was like, I, I, I got to do this. So... I was talking to an, uh, this woman um, who was also a coach, and we started talking about what kind of skin I would have, what, what kind of skin condition. I'm um, after studio too. I'm, you know, I would go every, twice a week and listen to Strasberg and Ellen Burstyn and Shelley Winters, and I mean the greats, you know, and um, Harvey Keitel and De Niro would come some of the time. So and so, I'm, I mean, I, I really am the real deal. You know, I learned from the best of the best. And you start thinking, you know, what what kind of walk do I have? What's my what, what what kind of face do I smoke? I must smoke. I must have yellow nails and probably yellowed skin and bad teeth. And so, um, I call. I started working on the character, and I went to um, Aardvark's, which was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still a Melrose. Melrose. Yeah, yeah, still there. And there was a block's worth of all their used stuff. You know, it looked like a bunch of cards, like just squished together. And I remember I walked in and I looked. I looked over the block's long, block long uh, content of all this, these garments, and I go, "What's that?" And I swear to God, I walked right over to that clown suit, as Pete likes to call it. <laughs> Which was perfectly, it was from the 70s. It was a jumpsuit, polyester jumpsuit from the 70s. That was the one you used? Yep. I put it on. It fit perfectly. It gave me kind of a thing because it's like... And I thought, all right, and I got that. I got to have a voice because I smoke too much and definitely have emphysema, so I'm dying of a cough. And um, my... So I started working. I gave myself long, dirty, cracked fingernails, and I put eyelashes coming out of my nostrils so that, like, <laughs> nose hair, and I ran the brow together, and I put egg on my head. My mom used to give herself an egg white mask, and it would make her skin look like reptilian after, before as it dried. So I got, put a little egg white on my face to let it dry, so it got real, 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 real crumbly, and then I put a little yolk in to make it like, a little yellow. <laughs> and... Long story short, I I think over about 6 weeks and I had the material and I would I go over and over the scenes and so I'm calling trying to find out when they're auditioning for this and nobody's responding. I sent Pete a note, I didn't get anything back. I I called this guy Pat Healy um, who was my friend. He said, "Well, I don't really know what's happening." And then and I'm dying. I'm just I I'm I'm I mean, I, I'm just dying to perform this, to do it. So, um I think I saw that they were starting principal photography. It was also in Variety. And I'm I'm really now I'm I'm having a nervous breakdown. My agent had just died, oh, <laughs> so, Jesus I had, Christ. so I had no agent. <laughs> oh, so I'm sitting my, and, and I was supposed to have a meeting with a new agent who canceled on me. And I'm and I've got the variety in front of me. And I'm sitting at the dining room table with makeup on, and I'm crying and all my mascara is running. My ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, I have him to thank for a lot of things. This being one of them. So he came and he said, "What's the matter with you?" And I said, "My agent's dead. I can't get it on audition for Kingpin." And I said. I'm just, I'm so, he said, well, call, why don't you call somebody? He said, call Steve Stabler. He's your buddy. I said, no, he said, it's after lunch. He's probably in his office. Call him. Ask him. So I thought, okay. Called. Steve answered the phone. I said, he said, what's the matter with you? (laughs)
2: my agent agent dropped me what happened he died well he died that's how much he didn't want to work with me Right. so now what do I do
1: (laughs) so anyway so I said to Steve um, you know I've been trying to get an audition from, from Mrs. Dumars and he said oh I know you sent some notes he said we love your work we loved you in Dumb and Dumber but we really just don't think you're right for this role and I said but I worked out this whole presentation and he says okay I'll bring you in so this was a Tuesday, and I remember the audition was Thursday. Thursday morning, I got myself in the whole outfit with the egg on my face and Mazzola oil in my hair and, and the no- nostrils with the hair coming out and the dirty and I had the cigarette and the voice and the whole thing. I, get, I have a little red Saab convertible, so I get, and they're in Santa Monica. So I get in my car, driving, literally, and all of a sudden I look at myself <laughs> in the rearview mirror, and I thought, I'm out of my fucking mind. <laughs> And I thought, but it's too late now. Now i got to go do this. And so I went into the building. Oh, I got out of my car. The parking lot attendant flung himself against the brick wall. (laughs) I I, I mean, it was almost like a joke. And I said, no, no, no. He he, he was like, I said, I won't hurt you. (laughs) They said, I'm just dressed up. And he said, yeah, right, okay. So I go in. And I sit down, uh, there's no chairs, so I sit down on the floor just kind of waiting for my, my time and my turn. And the kid, Rick was going back and forth. And they, were, it, they were seeing kids that day for those opening scenes in the film the little boy and the father mm-hmm. who were. So the, uh, there were several kids in there. And, and um, finally, it's like a half hour's gone by, and he's like just ignoring me basically. And I said, Rick? And he looks at me, he says, Lynn? <laughs> I, he said, I thought you were off the street. I thought- <laughs> <laughs> Acting. So he brought me in, and they died. They just—I mean, Pete was like, Pete is awesome. Also, right now, Green Book is doing yeah. it. He's—I'm so happy for yeah, him. Yeah,
2: Pete's a sweetheart. Oh
1: my god! And so is Bobby. The two of them. But they were just flabbergasted, literally. And I read the scenes. I don't even know how well they went. I just—I was so out of a cannon, you know, that I was doing it finally. And I walked out, and I went and I washed my face, and I, I think I started to cry. I was so relieved and upset and everything. And um, and that was it. I, Pete said, you're so scary, I'm afraid to talk to you. And he said, "Um, and—and and he said, thank you for coming in. And I said, you're welcome. You're that old, thank you for coming in. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> 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 you're welcome. Did I get the part? Yeah, well, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We got all that. Right, it. that right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the next day, I called... I, I was with my son in the car, who was about, I guess he was like a nine or something. I said, I'm going to call Steve and I'm going to thank him because that's the, I'm teaching him now. You should say thank you when people do you a favor like that. So I get him on the phone. It was the first car phones. It was one of those giant oh, car yeah. phones, yeah. you know, that you have, can barely pick yep. up. And, um, I said I just called to say thank you and he said I'm not supposed to tell you but you got the job. Holy shit. He said they were he said they couldn't even talk for 20 minutes they were laughing so hard when you left. And I got the job. And it's the best thing I've ever done. I mean it's you It's the best thing I've ever I think it's the best role I have ever done. You earned like I, I that that scene is one of the scenes from that movie? Where you're like, holy shit! I but mean, the lines too. I mean, pump and dump and all. I mean, who, who came up? You know, Pete came up with that. You know, what is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? That's that's a line everybody repeats. <laughs> 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 so, um, so I was lucky. I was lucky, but I earned my luck. You know, it was. That's it. Like you just said, the magic phrase of like, you
2: know. People might look at you and they go, "Oh, she's been lucky. She's been working. Her brother was a studio head. You got say, you know, how lucky?' It's like, but you learn. You have to earn. It's
1: like you you put yourself in luck's way. Oh, you I know. Really it's worked like for you, this. You you, <laughs> you worked for it. I really worked for this. I I couldn't. But it wasn't. I didn't feel like that. I just couldn't. Like that's again. That's that sort of reptilian passion I have. I I, I don't get it. I think I'm really talented, and I mean that not in, not for my ego. I have a thing that happens, and I swear to God, I feel like sometimes it's it really does feel sort of magical. It's really emotional. If I get out of my way, I'm a receiver. I receive something, and it's not magic. It's just... It's it's that thing we were talking about. It's it is real. That energy is real. That awareness sort of cosmic awareness of what sort of what this is all about which none of us understand has some penetrated, it has some penetra- it penetrates somehow. It's it's like nerve endings. And and, and I, I can't always access it. Intellectually, I'm getting better at understanding material and understanding story and knowing how to change dialogue to make it work better. I've gotten very skilled at that, and I've gotten bolder in terms of expressing it, which is exciting to me. Because you know, sometimes you go, oh, if it was only like that, and you don't say anything. But now I've gotten the courage to say to say. And if they say no, well, then you say, okay, but... Let me I'll fight for it a couple of
2: times. Well, yeah, because this <laughs> thing you're talking about, about being the receiver of this, the thing that blocks that is is your e- is ego. It's ego, and it, you know the ego is just sort of like um, like putting a, a concrete ball around the top of an antenna. It's just like you're just blocking, blocking the, you're just blocking race. the signal because you're so wrapped up in your own insecurities or whatever it is or baggage that we all have, you know. But. Boy, being able to just hearing you even describe that, I'm—I know there are people listening who are like, "Holy shit, that makes so much sense to me!" You know, it's like, how do we get out of our own ways? I think that's—that's—I I wouldn't say that's the purpose of
1: life, but it's one of life's struggles right. and it's like, mysteries. How do we, kind and of- mystery,
2: how the fuck do we get
1: out of our own way? I don't know the answer. Well, I mean, I think that's what, you know, sort of new agey, why people are into meditation and blah, blah, blah. Because there's, and even now, worse than ever, there is so, there's so much static. I mean, the noise around us mm-hmm. is just, I don't think we're built for it. No. I think that's part of the problem. And I think that's why people are so sad sometimes and so miserable. You can't, because you don't, you can't, it won't let any of that in. Sure. We're so we've got so much. it's Non-stop. Like, It doesn't shut up. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's so quiet up here. Quiet is, is rare. Right. You have to really, you have to find it for yourself. And I guess there's a way to find it even in the midst of chaos, which is kind of what the whole... I don't meditate per se, but I understand what it is. And I know when I go to the gym, the way I meditate is I close my eyes for 30 minutes and I just, I breathe. Yeah. And it feels great. And I come home and I'm clearer. I'm just clearer, you know. And I go, well, part of it's oxygen and part of it is just release, you know, of of, of, of that that energy that, that does block you. So anyway, it's... Such an exciting process to me, and um, I just hope I, you know, again, I, I feel I, I feel myself getting older, which is, um, but I don't I don't feel it really. That's what's sort of weird. I don't really feel I see it because I go, God, you know, what if I? And I'm not going to get a facelift, and I'm not going to do all that shit. I'm just going to be different. But to me the character acting is where the most
2: interesting stuff gets yeah. done. Like, that's where the real meat and, you know, and you're particularly inspirational to my wife because she's like, I want to be a character act. Like, I want to, to you know, like play different people. She to, wants to put egg on her face. Disappear. She wants to disappear. She wants to embody interesting roles, even if it's two lines or, you know, like or or a whole or a lead role, like she just wants to do the weird, but like she 's died in pretty much in horrible ways in pretty much everything she 's ever worked in, <laughs> and she loves it, you know it 's yeah. like that process, but I think that's a that 's a different path, yeah, it you is know, and path. who knows who knows what the i mean you know I think there's so much that can go sideways when someone is successful because sure. it 's like you you know are you? I'm listening. I just want to show you something. Oh, sure. really
1: quick while we're doing this. sure sure sure. You know like once you're successful, I don't want to lose the success. So what do I need to do to protect the? And you're getting advice from all the from everybody telling you how you're supposed to hang on to your career. Too. Exactly.
2: And who knows what personal insecurities you have versus what? I mean you know this business is amazing at targeting and exploiting insecurities and then
1: and then totally. That's from Final Wish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a gorgeous picture. I don't know who did that, but someone sent it to me on Facebook, and I just and I mean, I look at my face there, and I love it. You it's, know, I'm happy. It's gorgeous. With it. I mean. It's, I mean, it's a
2: gorgeous picture. So the picture that we're looking at
1: is this on Facebook, and it's on it's on my page. But I, I, the pic, the picture I'm sure is available, but I don't know who I don't know who to give credit. You're to in that. black and white, and everything behind you is it's in color. Red, yeah. but but. You're pulling, fo- you're pulling
2: the attention. And even though everything else behind you is in color, it's a really stunning picture. It's a really stunning picture. But again, you know, that just goes to how do we get out of our own way? How do we become comfortable with ourselves? And you have always seemed to be comfortable with yourself, even though you claim
1: you don't know who you are. <laughs> well, I think I get driven, but, I, you know, I don't work. I don't. I forget about myself. Is for, I, I really do I I just God I, I wish just, everyone could do it boy if you could bottle that <laughs> like the all, the whole the all all the whole world the whole internet is all about
2: reminding you of yourself it's like if we could just forget about ourselves well, well
1: I mean I kind of well then I'm very 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 fortunate because that is kind of it, I forget I forget because I'm I'm going for something outside myself so I don't even I I can't bother worrying about it right and um and I guess you know that King audition is a real um it is it's a real a real reminder for me as well you know about just the passion that that uh, observing and honoring your own passion but you also have to cuz i'm sure there were times where you did that and it didn't work out yeah
2: and so how you know it's like you know the the hard thing i think especially for performers is that you know, we're all inherently sensitive because sensitivity is what allows performers to absorb and reexpress. And right, so, it's right, right. but the side. But as I've said a million times, the side effect is that you're sensitive. And so, when you put in, it's like the pain of putting in that much. But wait, that's
1: different. Yes. Vulnerability is different than sensitivity. Okay, I like this point. And I think being vulnerable is important. I think being sensitive is is it works against. No you. one's ever said that before. I, I really like that. That makes a lot more sense to me. To let thing be able to let things in, but not, but not. Don't let them hurt you. Oh, my God. Well, that's that's another – that's the other
2: part of life's great goal. Right. But to put – but for people who go like, sure, I could put in that much work. But then at the end, if I get rejected, god damn it. you know, It's like you even said you got the job and you still had that emotional response afterwards just because it was – you put so much into it. Yeah. So when that doesn't work out, how are you still able to pick yourself up and go, I'm going to let all that other stuff go? Is it just because you're so driven by the task at
1: hand? yes yes i think that is it that i'm that and I think that's the goal is to be so driven by the task at hand that that's what becomes important. And that if you don't, and then, you know, it's like move on to the next, you know, move on to the next. My dad had a saying, you know, throw the fish back in the wagon and move on to the next house. <laughs> that's the, Jew, the Jewish grocer, you know, the Jewish east Side grocer. And that's how, that's how the, they lived. That's, that was a real thing. You know, you want, you want to buy the herring? Oh, never mind. We'll throw the fish in the Julia, 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 buy the herring on the next street. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like it, I'll give it to George. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Someone's gonna want this herring.
1: Someone's gonna want the herring before it smells too bad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were uh just by sheer coincidence when Lydia did that screening with you for Final Wish, um we just happened to be we just happened to watch Brewster's Millions because Lydia oh. had never seen it. And I think it's one of the great comedies it of is the, one and great. there you are, a I, news I, reporter. <laughs> Mr. Brewster, Mr. Brewster. Mr. Brewster <laughs> <laughs> I look pretty. And that I was part. like, I go, fuck, that's Lin Shay. Yeah. I can't believe that's Lin Shay. You know, I mean, it's like you're, you're in so many things. You know, you're in so many to, to varying degrees to so many great things that are a part of our. But portfolio. a lot
1: of those one liners, too, because I said yes to everything. I was like, I was the kid in the back of. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I was the kid in the back of the room. You know, where you you think if you if you just if you just raise it hard enough with your fingers tight together that you're going to get picked. Yeah. It, well, and and I never. You know, this is something that I never
2: ever normally do. I actually pulled up just so people get a sense. I I have I have all of your films here. Oh my god! Just to
1: remind people of like how many amazing. I mean. And I don't even think they're all on there. I don't even remember some of them. Mick Garris didn't remember one of them either. Going say Okay. 1982, <laughs> oh, oh, I remember oh, oh. this. What? I have to tell you about Pass to Hester Street. Yes. Which is my 1975. first. My first credited film. It's the first one. Don't say what it says, though, on there. Does, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. No, I'll tell you because it's one of my favorite. Okay. Totally. Okay, I'll please. Because that was my first movie. Okay. So... Um, and that was also Bob, uh, Bob New Joan Micklin-Silver, who, by the way, is a wonderful human being and filmmaker. And Hester Street was nominated. Carol Kane was nominated for an Academy Award for that. People don't remember that. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's a wonderful movie. It's a real study of the ghetto life mm-hmm. in, in, in early, uh, down um, Lower East Side, New York. Okay, so I auditioned. I believe I auditioned for her, and I got the job as this prostitute who had a really nice, there was a really small but nice storyline where uh, Stephen Keats's character goes to her, and, you know, that there were prostitutes then. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, he asks her, why, you know, why does she do this? And she has this lovely little monologue um, that she can earn 25 cents a week or something like that as a prostitute as opposed to 5 cents at a sweatshop. And she wants to bring her family over from Poland. So this was a better job for her. So it was very, it was it was all very, um, it, it was economically motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that she was a, you know, a shady character or anything at all. This was business, straight, strict, strict business. So, um, so anyway, I got the job. And I was really excited because it was my first movie, really. And we shot the scene. And uh, Stephen Keats, God rest his soul, but... Um, he was he was lovely and Joan was great and and it was just a wonderful experience. Okay, so the movie's finished and there's going to be a premiere and um, I'm really excited. And I tell my mom and they said they're going to come they're going to come. So my parents come to New York. We watch the film. The scene was cut pretty dramatically. There's just one little section of Stephen Keats walking into the room and I'm washing myself and you kind of get a one. Look at one of my breasts, which I can sort of feel. My mother, kind of, <laughs> you know, she's sitting next to me, and um, and so I'm, I'm waiting for the, you know, the explanation, and it's not there. So they move on. We, they finish the movie, and I'm kind of like they cut it out. You know, it was just cut, and um, no one had told me that. And so really, all that's in there is that one little tiny scene of me washing myself, and I think I say one thing to him or something. And so I go. Okay, well, I'm gonna. But my name is gonna be on screen. So we watch. We watch. We watch. We watch. Very last credit says Lynn Shea, Horror. Oh Jesus! <laughs> my mother just. I felt her stiffen next to me. She didn't look at me. She stood up. She turned around. She started walking. She, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. She goes by all the people in the aisle. I I follow her. She walks up the aisle, walks into the ladies' room, and vomits.
2: Oh my God! Are you knocking on the door? Living the dream, mom. I'm living right. the dream. I was in a movie. a horror, mom.
1: It was three three separate words. <laughs> I had more. There was more. There was a scene. It right? was economically motivated. Right, right. She
2: wasn't. You have to understand. <laughs> right. This is how film works. So
1: that, anyway, mm-hmm. I just thought that was a. Uh, so. And then
2: after that, like is. Are you, did she come out
1: composed, or were no, you like? I don't. You know what? I don't even remember. I think. I think she just. We. No one really talked too much after that. But at a certain point, was she like, "Okay, I get it. What you're doing?" Yes and no. She, my dad was more receptive to the whole thing that my mom was in general. My mom kept. She says you can get a teaching certificate. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, be, she she wanted me to you know sort of be a teacher, live in Detroit. If she had her druthers, that's sure. really she wanted. To, you know, have her me live down the street. You know, and be able to have four kids or whatever. But um, um, but she was graceful about it. She never got in my way at all. Um, she used to make me feel guilty when I didn't come home. You know, because sometimes she'd say. Um, who was I, w- I was in Detroit for some reason, and I had to come back for an audition. And, I mean, if I had an audition, I was leaving. I mean, that was it. And she gave me such a hard time. I remember her saying, you know you know, you don't, you really don't care about us, do you know, she gave me that whole guilt trip about you going to an audition, you probably won't even get the job. You know, it was one of those. Mm I went, yeah, well, whatever. Bye. Well, you're just lucky that you were able to just filter that out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there are some people
2: would have been like, okay, you know, you're right. Yeah. You know, and then that would have been that. But there's just something about you and your cosmic makeup that's like, well, whatever. And again, I think that's the ego thing. If you had an ego, you probably would have, you know, but somehow you were just able to like filter. Yeah, it Yeah,
1: I mean, because it, it wasn't even; it, it didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. Yeah, you know, it just felt like I gotta go. You know, I mean, this is what I gotta go do. I'm I'm good. I'm good to go. Try and get this job. So, so. I see
2: going south here. I see a movie that I remember called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. Oh my God, which Mark, I rem- Mark Blankfield, Mark Blankfield, <laughs> who was he was like the the breakout star of this show called Fridays when Fridays was a was a. they tried to capitalize on the success of SNL it was a different network was it a different network I feel like maybe it was a different network I don't know but I remember and they did basically a Saturday Night Live on a Friday and he was kind of the
1: standout guy on that and then he did this movie Jekyll and Hyde together again so I remember that film I was a nurse I played a nurse and I remember looking at his dick Is it alright? I'm saying all these words, okay? <laughs> no, this is a very good...
2: <laughs> yes, of course it is. Of course it is. Anyway, that's,
1: that's what I remember about that character. <laughs> I just love how calm
2: it was. And I was looking yeah, at his dick. His dick. Yeah. Um <laughs> Hey, Mom! <laughs> Uh, Lynn
1: Shea nurse uh, yeah nurse that's the right nurse, nurse. Yeah. So we went from whore to nurse that's better <laughs> better profession okay what'd you do as a nurse yep. well, I was looking at guy's yeah, looking but it's a <laughs> it, it, you know it's a totally different
2: right, yeah, right. it's totally it was a, okay yeah it was fine um, okay so Night Round Elm Street Obviously, I'm skipping over tons of stuff right, right, here right, right. Brewster's Millions Critters yep. and by the way before you leave I bought one of the original critters from an from an auction. It was one of Lydia's Christmas presents, so I have one here. Oh so
1: my yeah, god! Take a with oh it later. my god!
2: Yeah, so I have one. Oh. Um, uh, Extreme, The Running Man, uh, Critters Two, Pump Up the Volume, yep. Great yep. Christian Slater movie. That was a New Line. That was a New Line movie. That was a New Line huh? movie. Uh, Loaded Weapon. Uh, I and forgot about that one.
1: You what? I forgot about that one.
2: <laughs> you should read your resume yeah, really? sometimes. There's a lot of stuff here. Uh, Amityville. Even cowgirls get the blues.
1: That was that was. Um, oh my God! That was um, what's his name? A wonderful, wonderful director. Which the director? Like, yeah, uh, Gus Van Zandt Gus Van Zandt mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Wes Craven's
2: New Nightmare. Right. That was which the last one. Was such a great spin. I think New Nightmare. There's so much about New Nightmare to me. I mean, Wes not only like helped redefine horror, but then he started making these meta-films too, that, oh, that very commented on horror, yep. and New Nightmare was such a great take on, you know, people don't remember it, it's like, oh, we did this Nightmare on Elm Street series, and it actually the films manifested this real killer, yeah. and so Heather Lagenkamp plays herself, and Wes Craven plays For himself, himself it's yep. just such a great it was such a great,
1: I mean, was he delightful to work? Yes, unbelievable he was one of the gentlest kindest smartest people i've ever worked with and i have a good story for him too with him too because i mean i met him bob said to west put my sister in your movie i mean it was another one of those and i played the teacher and Mm -hmm. which is still people remember and then um west did um they resurrected twilight zone and um he directed this one called chameleon and i came in an audition for him and um the casting director, it was kind of a, I, I, I kind of play a robot. She's not really a robot. She manifests itself uh, herself in, in this machine. You know, it was a science fiction thing. And I'm kind of half robot and half human. And it was kind of an emotional little scene. And I kind of teared up in it. And at the end of the audition, the casting director says, Can you do it another time, not so whiny?
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ,
1: <laughs> auditions fucking really. suck. So I gave him the finger. I flipped him off, and Wes was standing in the back of the room, and his cheeks got – because he always had pink cheeks. His cheeks got really, really, really red, and he just looked down with his arms crossed and hired me.
2: (laughs) I mean, it seems like you've gotten away with stuff that maybe other people would not have gotten away with, and I assume that it's because –
1: they're just so authentic to who you well, are. Well, maybe I mean I don't think about. It's not like I calculate. It's, yeah, it's, I'm very spontaneous. Yeah, let me put it that way. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was lucky. I mean, another director might have thrown me out of the room. Who knows? You know. But okay. Wes was that. Wes was that guy, though. He was very. He he saw all. He saw everything around him. Very soft spoken, really brilliant.
2: And so, so as we're getting into the early 2000s, so by this time. You've been working for 30 years.
1: Ay-ay-ay-ay. And
2: you 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 know you've done a, you've done a lot of parts is are you feeling like hey I don't care if the parts are big I don't care if they're small I'm just working that's all I care about I just care about doing little things that I think I can leave a mark on and that's it. And again it's not there's no ego in it still or do you think like gosh I really want to have a star on the walk of fame that doesn't seem I can even see by your face like I nah, mean, I don't I, give a shit about
1: that. I mean I um I always I have I have two kinds of responses. There's a there's a, also a negative side of me. It's like no, I'm not doing it. Like right I look at it and i go, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then I kind of peek at it again and I go, well, maybe I'll look at it one more time. No. Well, let me see again. Yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs> I think I really want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I sort of sneak in I I, I guess I, I, I'm always full of fear, by the way. Always afraid on some level i don't know what that is but that's always my my first thing is uh, well fear
2: is good like there's nothing wrong with
1: fear it's just how what's people's response to it
2: how do you manage it do you push through anyway do you let it rule your life well
1: that's what happens that's my usually my um and my agent manager i have a wonderful manager gina Rugolo, who's been with me i've been with her over 20 years and she is just been the best because she gets that extra perspective that i just don't see or have and in terms of shaping my career they're interested in that you know they want to make sure you know like my my agent is julia buckwald is mm-hmm. just great i love her she's no nonsense she's a fantastic deal maker she's fair as they come she doesn't she's not ridiculous but she goes for she knows what's the next step in terms of stuff what you should get in terms of pr- producer credit back end or, you know i mean all anything that has to do with that now which where i'm at i mean i've I minimize my own success often, apparently. I mean, I didn't know I did, but that's what they, they say. You don't, you, like right now, there's, um, it's always still for me a, a passionate thing. Like, I just did a film in Oregon with um, people who have never made a movie before, they didn't even have a call sheet. It was the most frustrating, frustrating <laughs> event of my life, really, as an actress. But I did it because I loved the role. And I think it's a good story. And I kept going back to that. So um, so that's why I did it. I, I, there's a couple things on the plate, on my plate now. One is a director I'm really interested in. But it's a short. And my manager's not sure she wants me. She said, I, I don't think you should do it. Because it's going to be shown at all the festivals. And people are going to go, why are you doing that? And I go, well, will they really? And she said, yeah, they really will, because you've established yourself. I mean, Insidious has put me into a, a slightly different category. So I'm, I'm straddling two worlds in a way, because I'm still in that one that goes, oh, I can't wait to do it. You know, I want to do that. And that would be really fun. And my mind right away starts working on the character. But these other aspects of career choices are being sort of thrust upon me as well. And sometimes I feel like, phew, I don't have to do it. You know, yeah. I, either the, fe- the, the fear factor thing comes in. So it's a little bit of everything. I'm- well, that's what we were talking about earlier, about getting advice from people. And when does the ego come in? And right. it's like, oh, you can't,
2: you know. And so, so I have to be careful. Well, you have to be careful. But, you know, it's like if you work with people, you have to trust your representatives. And if they think it's not the right thing to do. But I also sort of feel like... You know, like I love working. working. Yeah, you love I, mean, working, I love working, and if you, and you I... like it, who gives a shit? Right. You know, and
1: it's like who, who, whatever. Well, I'm I'm more of that road, but I, I need. But I also have to listen to them. On, they, of course, they will, they will never. If I say yeah, I absolutely want to do it, they'll say okay, and you'll
2: know, like because yeah. your gut will tell you. Just like this thing in Oregon, it's like your gut told you you needed to do it, yeah. so you did
1: and it. And I did, and it came out not so bad. By
2: yeah. the way. yeah, and so you know, <laughs> if they tell you that you not to do something you, you you thought you wanted to do. I feel like at this point you trust your gut. If you push back
1: hard, then it's like I probably should do this. And if you're like, nah, okay, then maybe it wasn't something you were super passionate right, about. Right. No, thank you. That's a, that's actually that's good for me to hear right now as well. But um, my choices are basically based on on excitement about the role.
2: Well, that's what's so interesting is that. So you work pretty nonstop since 1975. You looks like you work pretty nonstop, and who could have predicted that in 2011? It's like insidious hits and then boom boom you know it's nobody like,
1: knew that was going to happen nobody or... knew that was
2: going to happen and you didn't know that was going to happen and you you know like I'm sure you didn't set out to go like you know what I'm going to work consistently for 36 years
1: <laughs> and then in year 36 boom you know guy. like it's just all you just don't know no you don't you know you don't know and this and that came out of nowhere in a weird way too because James there's a little movie I, call, I did called Dead End mm-hmm. with Ray Wise that's a Christmas movie, that's one of my favorite movies I've ever done, that never got a real release. It's crazy. It was owned by Lionsgate, and they sort of, I don't even know what they did with it. I've never gotten a residual for it, except once, I think, for $3 (laughs) from something. Um, It's a fantastic little film. And James Wan was a real fan of it. And he had just done, you know, he and Lee Winnell came from Australia. They did Saw, and then that had a, a real success story to it. And then um, James made a couple other movies. Um, Dead Silence, I think, was one, and I can't remember the the name of the other one. We have the
2: dummy from that movie. Oh yeah,
1: you're bad. It's you my wife. That. She buys all the horror awesome. props. Awesome. That's great. That's a great one. Yeah. And it's weird. I get. I didn't know James, but I auditioned for that, and it was between me and the other the woman who did it, which was kind of. Oh he told gosh. me later. So anyway, when we got, but if I'd done that, I probably wouldn't have done Insidious. That's so. right. So okay, so he was a fan of Dead End, and we had a mutual friend who brought James over to my house. I was having a little gathering of friends. And um, a few weeks later, he asked if I would do... um, He was doing a video with Lee Winnell called Doggy Heaven, which is hilarious. Um, Lee is in it. Lee is genius. Those two guys are really something special, uh, each in their own way. They're very, very different. But Lee is... He's a fantastic actor as well as an amazing writer and and a, a terrific director as well. So Lee brought him, um, okay, so he sent me, um, we did Doggy Heaven, which was hilarious. I play, um, I have a dog named Miss Marple, and a big white hat, and a big boobs, and a big butt, and a sundress, and, and little gloves, and <laughs> it's a great character. Actually, I just put that on Facebook, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, and uh, um, and that was it, we had a very nice time, I met him, he was very sweet, and a few weeks later, maybe a couple months actually, he... he Called and said, uh, Lee and I have this script. We don't have a name for it yet. We're thinking of calling it the Further, or we might. There's another title we're thinking of, and there's a role I think you'd be really. Um, I think you would really be good in. And can I send you the script? So I said, sure, you know. And and he said, um, I have um, um, offers out to Patrick Wilson and to Rose Byrne. I thought, oh, that's a great cast. And um, I read it, and it was so unnerving. And Lee is a fantastic writer. And he also would change the font in the in the script for certain, like, effect. And it got me. I mean, as I was reading it in bed, I, it made me so nervous. By the end of it, I had locked it in the closet downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not superstitious. So, and I called James and I said, I would love to be a part of this. I just remember the character talked a lot because she talks about the further, you know, I right. had that whole long, long, long monologue. So, um... So we said, great, I actually just got word that I got Patrick and Rose, and we're going to shoot in whatever, three weeks. It was a three-week shoot, um, $800,000 for the film. and um, The total budget for the movie? Yeah. Oh, my and, God. Um, we and we were had honey wagons, we were in Highland Park in this little house, and it was really funny. We had one security guard kind of watching the honey wagons, and there was some guy that kept walking up and down on his phone, and he kept like glancing over at the wagons. And I kind of, kind of eyed him a couple times, and I said to security, "Keep your eye on this guy." I said, "Cause he's marching up and down here more than he should, and he keeps looking at the wagons. and kind of looks for you." He said, "Okay, I'll keep my eye on him." So th- we sit down at lunch. It was Jason Blum. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta watch out for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> because I sat down across, so I said, "Oh my God, I almost had you arrested." Yeah. <laughs> Who's such a sweetheart? Oh, the best ever, the best ever. So, um, so we made this movie. There was no talk of sequel, nothing. It was, you know. And for some reason, people liked Elise. And I, to this day, I still don't hundred percent get it. The one thing I, I, I said when people have asked me this question. And which was filled in so beautifully by Lee in this fourth installment. Mm-hmm. There's going to be another one. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's,
2: that's fantastic. fantastic. So I've heard.
1: I don't know. There's. I know nothing about it, but that's the mumble. Okay. That's the mumble jumble. Good. Um, but um, the uh, – I lost my train of thought. Um, you were talking about the question that gets – that Lee says something about – that got answered in the fourth movie. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. The reason people like Elise um, – because in the first one, you don't really know too much about her. Um, you know, she's sort of just a nice woman, and that the opening scene. This was my idea, and, and people love that. Where I, where because I, I said to James, um, can I knock on the door and ring the doorbell? Because I don't know if, it, cause, cause, and I, what I say to Patrick, he flings the door open, and I say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know if the doorbell worked. <laughs> and you know, here's a psychic. I said, what a great way to introduce a psychic. You know, because it already shows her humanity. Yeah. So um, he really loved that, and and that's I'm very proud of that moment in the movie, actually. And um, so we didn't know too much about her. I kind of built her as a loner, mm-hmm. um, that she was maybe like me as a little girl, that she didn't have friends. She would spend a lot of time by herself, which opened her up to entities, you know, to other She forces. was open. The she energy, she was open. She was open. Yeah, she was open. I'm getting chill, chills again. So she was open, and... Um, and uh, I didn't think she had family. I mean, I kind of saw her very much alone. However, Lee built an entirely different storyline for her. First of all, in the third one, they gave me a husband because mm-hmm. I and and. I even possibly thought, in the if they do another one, that there had been a child. But I don't think they're going to do that. But that was my thought: is that we had had a child who ended up in the further, oh. which I think is a great idea. But I think they're on another road. You know, at least the had, sixth one. Right, well, maybe at least had her day. Has had her day. I can honestly say. But anyway, so um, so in the in the last one. It, not only am I not alone, but I've got a brother and I've got two nieces, and I've got, you know, I mean, I've got this whole family, and an abuse of mother and father and and um, I mean, I just never pictured any of that. But what that did, what what actually what Lee built is a stronger woman because what he did is my past, that I came out of my past, Becoming the woman you see in the first one, who is very secure, very loving, very giving, very um, Mm non-egocentric, is about, she's a giver, she's not a taker. She's a listener. She's also, she's a receiver. And the the fact that he built that life for her, that she grew into a beautiful person out of, is a a strength that she wouldn't have if she had been a loner. So it's a fantastic story. And it was really, that was a hard shoot. That was such an emotional shoot for me in every way. In real, real time, it was emotional because here I was, the head of this household, so to speak. I mean, I was, I was a lead in a film. I was number one on the call sheet. I, I never really thought about that. That's incredible, and and the the impact that has on other people, not even on me, but it was, um, and it was long. You know, it was like six weeks of only three days. I didn't shoot the whole film. I think Um, I was there were only three days I wasn't in, and it was exhausting because it was a very emotional story as well. And um, anyway, I'm very proud of of what where I've been, where I am, and I hope where I get to go. I I want to be here doing this as long as I can. Well, the
2: bonus part of this now, as we wrap this up and people should go see Final Wish, is we get one Europe story. I told you I was not going to forget. Okay. <laughs> and you just talked about where you've been. All right. It's you a great were in one. Europe.
1: Okay. It's a great okay, one. Okay, good. I love this. So this is
2: how we'll sort of wrap up everything and... And, uh, and so go, go ahead.
1: Okay. So I lied to my parents.
0: <laughs> it's already good.
1: <laughs> and, and they financed my lie, which is even better because I had no money of my own. My dad gave me traveler's checks to go to Europe. For, and I told them I was going to um, apply to the Courtauld Institute of Art. I was an art history major at the University of Michigan. Was this I, true?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I,
1: I actually sent for the paperwork. I think I still have it. I mean, just you know, a, a pack of paperwork to fill out. I never filled it out. <laughs> um, i it's the the trip started out. My brother was um, I believe this is the same trip. He was uh, in Sweden on a Fulbright, and we went to visit him. I went to Europe with my f- family that summer. And from there, instead of going further with my parents, I told I flew to London and I was going to meet my two girlfriends on the on the Spanish Steps. Okay. <laughs> in um well the Spanish Steps are they? In, that's in Italy. That was let me think where I started out. Yes. The Spanish Steps started out in Italy. So I met Rena and Linda in, in um and after about we went to Italy, then we were in Paris. I ran into a friend of my brother's who drove with me. And an English and a Greek guy named Karyakis to Athens. We so we drove from uh, Belgium to Athens, and from there I ended up flying to London, and I had all my luggage. And um, I remember I didn't know where I was going to stay. I, and I, I'm sort of making this up as I go along. I'm sending my parents notes, telling them you know everything is fine. I'm all good. How old are you at this point? I just graduated college, so I was twenty-one. Okay, so you're twenty-one, mm-hmm. and so it's not insane that you'd be off out doing stuff on your own. But, but you're you're definitely deceiving your parents. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally lying to them. I, they were when I told them I was with Richie Gerber in in Athens. They thought, okay, um, but Richie was great. That was my brother's friend, and um, okay, so I land in in London, and I had no idea where I was going to stay. I have my luggage. I, you know, I didn't know from backpacks. I had two giant suitcases that I'm I'm carrying from one bus to another. Basically, I get off in Piccadilly Circus, still not knowing what I'm going to do. And I thought, well, I know there's YWCA's here. You know, so I thought well, maybe I'll try and find a YWCA. There's a little. Um, um, Fort Fordham's they're called. I think I'm, they're these little kiosks almost, mm-hmm. um, coffee shops on Piccadilly Circus. So I come in with all my luggage. I sit down at the counter. <laughs> I take up two two spaces. I order and there's a guy sitting next to me and he says, um, are you American? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, are you looking for a job? Oh my God. And I said, yeah. And he said, good. He said, um, I'm going to write a number down for you, and I want you to call this number tonight at six p.m. Um, here's the number. It was Terminus eight eight four four. I think I even remember the number, or four four eight. And this is not shady in any way. Like it's I'm not. I don't know. I, all I know, some guy is like knows him, and he's going to offer me a job. So okay. I, I write this down. I, I still have the piece of paper I wrote it down on. Believe it or not. Um, I I start asking about the Y YWCA's and there is one that I could go to. So I take my luggage. I check into the YWCA. Six o'clock. I borrow some shillings to get on the payphone. Get this thing. I'm supposed to ask for Keith.
2: <laughs> oh, Jesus
1: Christ! So, so I go. He goes, hello. I, he said, who Who is this? I said, um, um, hi, this is Lynn Shea. And I said, um, George told me to call you tonight at 6. Oh, yes, I'm expecting your call. He said, um, yes, did George tell you that we're poets? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, yes, and um, we're looking to hire a secretary. And I said, oh, okay. I, he said, do you type? I said, yes, great. So he said, um, um, we're actually going to the Edinburgh Festival and we would like you to come and type out some poetry for us. Oh my God, that he said, sounds amazing! I live on King's Cross at King's Cross Station. I'll tell you how to get there. Come tomorrow at ten a.m., and we will interview you and see if you would be right for the position. So I'm, I got a I've got a job offer. I'm so excited! I don't know what to do with myself. Next morning, I figure out how to get on the tube, which is not as easy as you may think. <laughs> and. Um, come to this little flat in King's Cross Station. This guy comes to the door with a red beard and teeth missing and kind of doing this to his beard. And he's a little fat guy. He looks a little like Pan, like Mm -hmm. you would imagine Pan would look. He ushers me in. It's his little apartment. I meet Christina, his wife, pregnant wife. It was all on the up and up. These guys are published poets. <laughs> George Whiteman, I ended up going to the Edinburgh Festival with them. As their secretary, they were paying me 10 pounds a week, which is like, what, $40 or something like that. Um, it was all real. And I met W.H. Auden. I met Randall Jarrell. I met I met Jim Haynes. It was at the Travis Theater Club, which I think still exists this in Edinburgh. This is in the 60s? Like, what an amazing This was time. 70. It was, wait, 60 Oh, it was sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Wow! No, it was sixty-seven because I had just graduated in sixty-five. It was sixty-six, sixty-seven. Damn! And I, go uh, ahead. Anyway, I, and so I ended up staying. Um, so I ended up staying with them, and they put me up in a little flat. They were the crazy group of people. I went met William Burroughs. Oh <laughs> we were drinking with William Burroughs, and I was the cheerful American. <laughs> They all loved me because I didn't know anything about anything. And I was oh, hey, just, mom! I'm yeah. at art school. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, right. I'm at art school with William Burroughs. I hope you don't <laughs> mind. And then I ended up. Um, there was another friend of theirs who was working at a theater company, and she hired me to um, to be the prop mistress at, at a little theater in the in the West End. A little in like you know, little sort of uh, showcase theater. It really was and one funny story with that is um they needed birds to come out of the sky from for some skit they were it was a skit. they were doing you know um almost like second city kind of stuff and <laughs> i didn't think about styrofoam i went to a butcher and i got all these dead bird heads <laughs> and i had them in a bag and i and i thought well, <laughs> Did you rain dead bird heads down on actors? And it stunk. The whole audience, the whole audience was like they left because it smelled. The birds were like all got rotten. And and everybody's going, "What's that smell? What's that smell?" And I'm up in the rafters. I'm being with I'm the prop mistress, and you know I'm also sort of the stage manager. And I'm dropping all these dead bird heads down. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be in a movie. That's unbelievable. If I saw that in a movie, I would go, "That's not real. That's not real." Anyway, and it was just a. It was just great.
2: You are so lucky. There's there was not social media back then because your parents totally could attract... I saw you on Instagram. Were you doing shots with yeah, William really, S. Burroughs? Really? Like there was no
1: way None of that. No, no, way one, to track. no one could track you. No what one one an incredible you.
2: story. And again, it just all goes <laughs> back to you being open, you being receptive, you being authentic and, and smacking the ego out of the way to just say like, hey, you know, life is this journey and I'm just – I just want to live this it. This opportunity
1: happened and I'm going for it. But I mean seriously, in, the, in this day and age, I don't – who would do that? I mean, you know, this guy, excuse me, are you looking for a job? And then you never hear from that person And then you again. never, or, yeah, yeah. or you go to Keith Harrison's apartment and they kidnap him, you and put in That's what I the mean. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, maybe this isn't the, maybe kids shouldn't just go with a guy who says yeah, he's a poet. Listen to what I told you. Oh, but the other thing that's crazy, you want to hear what else is nuts? <laughs> yes. Keith Harrison, who was this little redheaded yeah. guy. He became my niece's professor in English at Carleton College twenty five years later. By
2: complete coincidence, complete. did you did you confront she, him and say I was in your office? Up-
1: she, she did. She said she called me. She said I think the guy you told us about is my teacher, and it was. Did he still not have teeth? He still didn't have. teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was still. He had. He you know, was one of those. One of those. One of those. One of those poets. And he, but he was a a tremendous, I'm sure he's still around somewhere. I hope so. George Whiteman, I think, died, and he was extraordinary too, this real upper class, you know, they were all Oxford graduates. But he wasn't like Keith the Teeth. No, it wasn't like Keith the Teeth. (laughs) Keith Keith was a riot. He was totally a riot. And he was a really, they were always, he was doing, literally, he would do this with his beard. (laughs) It was like, hmm. I mean, what an amazing, I mean, just such a great, (laughs) you
2: know, it's so much fun to sort of hear. What happens when you're open like this? I, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Lin Shay. Oh, well, same to you. And it's I could been... see it was so funny. It was so cute to watch my wife say hi to you because she got real shy. I could see her <laughs> face turning red. And she was like, okay, I'm just going
1: to go upstairs oh. and change.
2: But, you know, we're big fans of yours, and anytime you want to come on or anything we can ever do for you, please let us know.
1: This was a real treat. I really had no idea. I I, I knew your name, but I didn't really know – I didn't know who you were or what – but you're also a fantastic host. And, oh, thanks. And a fantastic guy.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you oh, so I much, Lynn So the uh, final wish people should watch – let me just make sure I know when that is – I just want to make sure I promote
1: this properly. January 24th. 20, January 24th. 24th it's coming – okay. Yeah. Uh And it's for just the one night only. I guess you know I wasn't even quite sure how this all worked, but I guess it's all over the country basically for one night only. And I don't know if then that generates if there's enough interest generated that then it will have a full-scale theatrical run or not. I don't really know how that all works. But if you have the opportunity to see it in a theater, that's the place to see it. It's the sound design is beautiful. The film looks gorgeous um it's be- the dp was wonderful and um and i think it's a really engaging story with a with a big heart and some good scares well uh,
2: i encourage people to go see that and then also anything else you're working on that's coming out the
1: grudge is coming yes! whoa i'm too scared to see it i'm telling you that was the scariest thing i ever did in my whole life really yeah Really, like in real life. <laughs> like it was in real sc- life, it was really scary. The director is a young guy named Nicholas Pesch who had done. Um, he did a movie called Eyes of My Mother that was on. Yeah, I remember that. We saw that. I thought that was really scary. Yeah. I mean, from I don't. I mean, every listen, every film hits people differently. That made me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a very interesting. Um, he's a, I think, a fantastically interesting filmmaker it's about his juxtaposition of imagery and he's got a very uh tangential sense of fear it's it sort of creeps in on the uh, from the underside and you so you think it's all gonna be and then oh my god it's totally not and this is a fantastic script wonderful cast um and uh, that's going to be i think Sam Raimi's executive producing fantastic yeah, so it, that's coming up in June and uh there's a bunch of other stuff i, I co-produced a I co-produced a film that we are showing also in limited release called Room for Rent that um i sort of helped put together um That's fantastic. You know, that's going that's going to have um i think it'll have a f- big format opening in May but um Tommy Stovall directed it. Who I've done two other movies with, a really wonderful director. Good story, really. It's about a woman, a lonely woman who descends into madness. And it's a, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it is all about me. When, uh, when, when can you come back on the podcast? Oh, I'll come anytime you want me. <laughs> okay, to. good. I have to have something new to tell you though. I may have to go to Europe between now and then. <laughs>
2: you have a lot of story. Like I, I, I imagine we just. I mean, we didn't even nick the surface of stories that you might. There's a lot that, of good that you stuff. might have. Right. So you're welcome back anytime, Lynn Shay. Oh, thank, thank you for you. being here.
1: Thank you, Chris.
2: The end. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.
0: Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat Cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week.